1: Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On.
2: Democrats will have a majority in the Senate, and
1: I will once again be majority leader.
0: The victory is for Nevada and all of us. All of the hard work that we put into it. We have uh, still a slim path to keeping the House. We're going to
3: show Nancy Pelosi the door
1: very shortly. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s
3: top name.
2: We were candid and clear with one another across the board. We need to chart the right course for the China-U.S. relationship.
3: Bloomberg Sound On with
1: Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Democrats keep the Senate. and Still no call on the House. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as we dissect the deciding Senate race with the Dean of Nevada Politics, John Rouston of the Nevada Independent keeping an eye on votes still being counted out west and later the meeting of the minds today in Bali. will be joined by Kurt Tong, former U.S. Ambassador for Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation on what presidents Biden and Xi accomplished today, if anything. We cover it all with our signature panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano with us for the hour. Still no call on which party controls the U.S. House on this Monday. But Republicans are awfully close, six seats away from the 218 needed to control the chamber. And Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal, the Democrat from California, chairs the progressive caucus in the House, says Democrats still have a path.
0: We have uh, still a slim path to keeping the House. I recognize it's slim, but it's still possible. There is no question that this will be the most progressive Democratic caucus in decades.
1: So you're saying there's a chance. We'll talk a little bit later more specifically about this. Democrats would have to run the table, which, again, could happen with a lot of votes left to count, in California especially. We could be talking about this still this time next week. Yeah. It was one week ago tonight, no, tomorrow, that Kevin McCarthy declared victory, and we're still actually not there yet. Different story, of course, in the Senate. was big news over the weekend. First, they got Arizona, Mark Kelly. The race call, the senator will keep his job.
3: It can be tempting to remain focused on the things that divide us. But we've seen the consequences that come when leaders refuse to accept the truth and focus more on conspiracies of the past than solving the challenges that we face today.
1: He beats Republican Blake Masters, who I believe has no plans to concede, at least not yet. While in Nevada... The senator said to be the most vulnerable Democrat in the country, Catherine Cortez Masto, gets it done.
4: This election, Nevadans rejected the far-right politicians working to divide us.
1: Beating Adam Laxalt, who, again, pretty sure has not conceded. Let's bring in John Roust the CEO of the Nevada Independent. John's a journalist and an executive at the Nevada Independent, also the dean of Nevada political journalist and back with us he was here last week and we promised we'd get back together to read through some of the tea leaves here john welcome back to bloomberg thanks so has adam laxalt called you to concede
2: yet he's not called me nor has he called catherine Cortez masto nor has he put out any public statements and it's about uh i don't know it's uh, uh, all the time runs together for me joe but i think it's about uh one and a half days since the race was called yeah
1: suggesting he may never concede.
2: Uh, I'm not sure about that. I think he wants to do something else, It's my guess, because that's all he essentially has done is run for office. And so hmm. my guess is he wants to run for something. So I doubt he'll keep this up that long.
1: Well, as you look back here on the last couple of days and some of the analysis that we've heard, nobody's deeper into these, uh, these districts than you are. When you, when you look at the people who actually voted and why, did this have more to do with, you know, quote unquote, saving democracy, as the president likes to say? Or was this actually about policy? Were people talking about the accomplishments of Democrats or or was it neither of those?
2: Well, when races are relatively close and the major ones in Nevada were close, it's hard to single out one factor and you can try to parse it with exit polling or friends. But uh, the bottom line is is that in the U.S. Senate race, which is very close, uh, Catherine Cortez-Masto did point out that Adam Laxalt is an election denier. Uh, in some of the down-ballot races that were also very close for constitutional offices, uh, the Democrats did point out that there were election deniers running uh, against them. Um, I, you know, the governor's race here, which is the only really feather in the Republican Party's cap uh, this time, uh, it, it was more a case of a, a governor hobbled by COVID and 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 uh, hangover, as I call it, with the economy that really cost him that race. I think there were some other factors too, hmm. but I, I I just think that uh, you know when people like me try to pick apart these races, it, it, it's just very difficult to tell yeah. if there's only a few thousand votes.
1: So ticket splitting then was a big part of the story in Nevada.
2: I think ticket splitters were a big part of the story. I thought there would be a uh, Cortez Masto Lombardo, Joe Lombardo, the Republican candidate for governor voters. Uh, that seems to have been borne out. We're doing on a, uh, at the Nevada Independent, we're doing a story about that. We're interviewing people who split their tickets. And I, I, it was a real phenomenon near the top of the ticket, I think.
1: I don't know if you heard from Chuck Schumer over the weekend, uh, but he spoke shortly after the Arizona and Nevada races were called. He said there were three reasons why Democrats maintained their majority in the Senate. Here he is. One, our terrific candidates. Two, a, a, the our agenda and our accomplishments. And three, the American people rejected the anti-democratic extremist MAGA Republicans. Do you buy Chuck Schumer's version of this election, John?
2: Well, the first thing he said was certainly true in Nevada, and it's really... One of those old political cliches that people say, and it's not always true, but it is in this case. Candidates matter. Campaigns matter. Catherine Cortez Mastro's campaign was far superior to Adam Laxoff, and it needed to be in a year in which the Democrats were, were facing really, really tough headwinds. She did everything that she needed to do to make sure that she could get over the top. She barely did it.
1: What's the status of the Republican Party in Nevada coming out of this election?
2: Well, the Republican Party in Nevada has been uh, uh, somewhat of a a joke for probably a decade and a half. and The the only reason that that Republicans win in this state is if they have a great campaign team and they run a near-flawless campaign because the Democrats have so many institutional and infrastructure advantages. So, you know, when you see people going, the Republican Party going out there and bragging about winning races for lieutenant governor and controller, yeah. which are two of the most useless state offices, <laughs> you know that they're, they're in a bad shape.
1: Yeah, I didn't think we'd be talking about the controller position in this interview. That's right. Maybe we'll bring him back and do that. John Ralston, thank you, CEO of the Nevada Independent, getting things started in our Monday edition here. Looking back on Nevada and Arizona, we assemble our panel, Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, Are both back with us, Bloomberg Politics contributors having survived election week, although I guess election week never actually ended, Jeannie. Uh, What's the takeaway from states like Nevada where we were told candidates like Catherine Cortez Masto were about to be fired because they were vulnerable, their stories were not resonating, and the president was dragging them down?
4: Well, well, what it suggests, and, and again, the the win is by about 6,000, so extremely close. And, mm-hmm. and it's notable that he has not conceded yet. But um, what it suggests is that candidates matter, the issue of denialism matters, democracy was on the ballot, and that extremism was able to overcome the negatives for Democrats on the economy and inflation, which was very, very real. And so it ended up not being necessarily a referendum on Biden as much as a referendum on the Republican Party, the yeah. Trump wing of the party. And that didn't bode so well for Republicans, although, again, very, very narrowly in a state like Nevada.
1: All the while, Rick, uh, Joe Lombardo wins the race for governor here. The Democrat, uh, Steve Sisolak, who got the same rally from Barack Obama that that Cortez Masto got lost the race. How do we rationalize that?
3: Yeah, I'm not so sure it's a a referendum on the Republican Party, a little bit more of a referendum on Donald Trump, you know, where he left his mark. It was usually something negative for the candidate. And so I think that helps explain some of uh, what was going on with voters when they, they, and I think that it's pretty easy to assume that if you were an election denier, you were an election denier because of your fealty to Trump. And so uh, being a you know, MAGA, super MAGA, mega MAGA, whatever it is, is is That's... it was was a real hang up on this election. And that mm-hmm. would explain why, in some cases, candidates ran away from that and did, frankly, pretty well. And then those that said, no, no, I'm election denier. And I believe everything Donald Trump tells me, mm-hmm. um, you know, fared very poorly.
1: It seems like the postmortem goes easier for Republicans than it does for Democrats, Jeannie, isn't it? It's difficult for Democrats to really delineate. You know, Joe Biden will tell you, well, my gosh, we got the we got the uh, the the infrastructure deal. We got the Inflation Reduction Act. We got the burn pits. We got gun control. I'm not sure people were talking about or even aware of a lot of those accomplishments. If you see them as such, Republicans in many cases thought they were uh, policies that moved us in the wrong direction. What can Joe Biden actually take credit for?
4: Well, he can take credit for getting out there and talking about abortion, talking about extremism, talking about mega-maga, as Rick was just talking about. Um, Those issues, those are the ones that resonated with voters, because you're right, when it comes to some of the issues, foreign policy, crime, inflation, immigration, the border, by and large, voters feel that they can trust Republicans more on that. And that's what I mean when I say it really ended up being a referendum on the Republican Party that Donald Trump runs. And that's how many people saw many of these candidates. But again, I think we need to stress a very, very very narrow victory in some of these states and they're still counting 19 house races at this moment
1: that's right and and we're going to get to the house in a moment here rick do you remember when the president went to philadelphia delivered that speech in front of independence hall bathed in blood red lighting it was heavy duty rhetoric and he was panned for it uh, as being decisive was that in fact the right speech to give at that moment
3: yeah, I mean, probably not. Um, I think it—you know—the reaction was so negative at the time. You wonder, yeah. you know, did it turn people off? Um, you know, but this has been a, a steady drumbeat since the convention, you know, uh, two years ago that nominated, you know, President Biden. Uh, this was going to be a theme that the Democrats pushed, regardless of how much traction it could get. And maybe it did pay off.
1: Rick and Jeannie are with us for the hour. We're going to turn to Arizona next. It's a whole different deck of cards there in Kerry Lake is hanging on as we also keep an eye on what's happening in the house. When will we get a call? I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg.
0: The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor q Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com.
1: You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. They still have not called the governor's race in Arizona. To be clear, the Senate race did go to Mark Kelly, the Democrat. But we're still waiting for a call in the race between Carrie Lake, the Republican, the Donald Trump-endorsed election denier, and Katie Hobbs, the Democrat who's in fact currently the Secretary of State. Just looking at the numbers here, Hobbs is still ahead by one percentage point. Uh, Although Carrie Lake did a little bit of narrowing earlier, we expect another dump tonight here. Carrie Lake, though, doesn't appear prepared to concede this race, should she lose it. Having accused Maricopa County uh, election workers of slow rolling the count, she says it should be election day, not election week. Here we are a week later. And, uh, boy, just not making a lot of friends with establishment Republicans while she's at it. Of course, remembering this is the former television news anchor in Phoenix, in Arizona, calling out, what, the grandfather, the godfather Of politics in Arizona this was uh, I don't even know what this event was but with supporters and tweeted out an edited version tweeted out by a guy named Tony uh, Connie who was a deputy uh, campaign director in Arizona for Joe Biden so this came from a Democrat but remarkable language nonetheless we
2: don't have any McCain Republicans in here do we all
0: right get the hell out it was the party of McCain and it was a, i know it
2: was bad boy arizona has delivered some losers haven't they
1: and then goes on to point out wendy rogers a white nationalist who she calls a hero uh standing in the crowd rick davis of course knows a thing or two about arizona politics he's part of our signature panel with Jeannie shanzano uh what's the purpose of insulting john mccain here rick when My gosh, I I didn't think you could be a Republican in Arizona without embracing John McCain.
3: Well, there's certainly at least 25,000 Republicans in Arizona that identify as McCain Republicans, and that's what she needed to be able to win this election, it looks like. So, uh, look, I mean, you know, she she was an outsider. She did not want to uh, uh, embrace uh, a movement that's won. Uh, every election that John McCain ever entered, uh, four reelections of the Senate, two presidential primaries and uh, a congressional election. So, you know, his track record's I think, pretty clear. Uh, I think his last <laughs> yes. reelection in 16, he won by 14 points. That's just a little more than 25,000 votes. Former um, standard bearer so, of the party. You know, I scratch my head. I have the same question: Why in the world would anyone run for office and say they don't want your vote? I mean, it's just like defies logic.
1: She said, um, "Get the
3: hell out!" I mean, yeah, I
1: don't yeah. know if anyone raised their hand at that point, but that is a different uh, campaign strategy for sure.
3: Actually, I'd love to meet the person who raised their hand because that's the bravest person <laughs> in the state
1: of
5: Arizona, <laughs>
1: no doubt. I'll see myself out. Uh, I don't know, uh, Jeannie. Look, this there could be a call, I guess, imminently here. Uh, Are we going to just delve into an endless legal battle no matter what happens?
4: no I think she'll just accept defeat gracefully okay don't you get then that next sense? story yeah, <laughs> yeah why not <laughs> no I, I think she's going to continue to fight I mean this is her brand if she had nothing to fight against what would she be out there saying because what she's not doing is she's not telling people what she's going to do as governor she's not asking for their vote she's just shaming people who she feels don't support her and you know it really gets down to in so many of these races that Republicans have in this case you know looks like maybe narrowly lost I it looks like Katie Hobbs is like 26,000 votes ahead of her mm-hmm. it, it's the choice of these primary candidates many of them chosen by Donald Trump and that's what the Republican Party has to contend with how do you stop Donald Trump from choosing people who are just you know going to have fealty to him as opposed to being people who can actually win these elections and that's the challenge they faced whether it's you know Michigan whether it's Pennsylvania whether it's Arizona you go right down the list New Hampshire. So that's what the Republican Party has to contend with uh, as they go forward into 2024.
1: Then, of course, there's uh, Georgia. We're still waiting for Georgia. That's the Senate race. And there's a runoff coming on the 6th of December. You do wonder how invested uh, people like Donald Trump might be having endorsed Herschel Walker. Then.
0: If you voted last time, go vote for me again. But tell the people that didn't vote for me, they need to vote for me because they didn't vote for me. They're going to have the government running their life.
1: <laughs> Rick, does does Donald Trump go to Georgia as the, uh, as the presidential candidate just to wade in there and make headlines in Georgia?
3: Well, he's done it before. Yeah. Uh, and um, uh, you got to assume he's going to do it again. Uh, he's looking for relevance in his own party Uh at, there's no question Herschel Walker is his candidate, lock, stock, and barrel. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I can't imagine him not insisting, uh, which means he just flies in there and does it himself, uh, uh, some presence between now and December 6th, uh, which, is the, uh, which is the runoff. So mm-hmm. uh, it, it's, 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 I don't know a single Republican on a national level who thinks that's a good idea, but <laughs> since when did that bother Donald Trump, right? yeah uh, Raphael Warnock, the, the
1: Democratic senator, the incumbent Jeannie, still can't believe this is happening. He's not
4: able to do this work. He's demonstrated that he has neither the competence nor the character. Uh, he doesn't understand the issues. And what's further is he's demonstrated uh, a lack of interest.
1: Yet they're too close to call, Jeannie. Does it matter what Raphael Warnock says over the next three weeks?
4: What's going to matter is can he get his voters out to the polls again? Can he pull over some of those uh, voters who supported the libertarian? And you know what is really fascinating is you had Mitch McConnell calling on Brian Kemp to get him to help with getting Herschel Walker quote-unquote over the line this time and so brian kemp is doing that he is giving support to walker which he did not do before so this is going to be a real battle to the end even though control doesn't depend on it any longer
1: that's going to make trump want to go just for that reason alone not letting brian kemp take credit for this if it happens rick and Jeannie will be here for the hour we have a lot more to talk about with our signature panel as we turn our attention to geopolitics next Presidents Biden and Xi together today in Bali. This is Bloomberg. So they met for three hours and actually seemed pleased to see each other when Presidents Biden and Xi first met in front of the cameras, a little handshake and some small talk, and then business. We were
3: candid and clear with one another across the board. And I do not think there's any imminent attempt on the part of China to invade Taiwan. I made it clear that we want to see cross trade issues peacefully resolved and, uh, and so it never
1: has to come to that. From the news conference in Bali that you saw and heard live on Bloomberg, President Biden feeling pretty good about things coming off the election and now telling our partners in the G20 that America is back at the table. And he says they were honest with each other. We were very blunt with one
3: another about places where we disagreed or where we were uncertain of each other's position. And we agreed we'd set up and we, we did mechanisms whereby we would meet in detail with our the, the key people in each of our administrations to discuss how we could resolve them. Sounds like some progress. But what does
1: this lead to? I want to talk to Kurt Tong about all of it. Managing partner at the Asia Group, former U.S. Consul General in Hong Kong and Macau, former U.S. Ambassador for Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation. Ambassador, welcome back to Bloomberg. Thank you very much. So no imminent invasion of Taiwan, an agreement that nuclear weapons should not be used in Ukraine. And what I am interpreting is a general sense of interest in avoiding a Cold War or worse between the United States and China. Both presidents seem interested in moving beyond this current standoff. Did you read it that way? Have the U.S. and China seen the worst of their relationship?
5: Well, I think in the short term, at least, they've succeeded in their shared mission, the two leaders. Of uh, to use a phrase, putting a floor under the relationship mm-hmm. and limiting the the short-term downside risk that that constant friction over a range of issues, most importantly Taiwan, could lead to a a, a cycle of deterioration that would lead to outright conflict. So, so that that is uh, mission accomplished by the two of them.
1: So they succeeded in lowering the temperature, if nothing
5: else. Well, they lowered the temperature. I think they also succeeded in reaching some shared understandings, which uh, existed previously but were reaffirmed on important topics. Most importantly, Taiwan, where the United States repeated the full mantra of its policy and China did the same. And that eases the fact that there are, in fact, red lines intersecting. Over the Taiwan issue, hmm. but there is there are diplomatic positions that each side takes that eases the pressure there.
1: There was a sense that that Beijing was accelerating uh, its schedule in reincorporating Taiwan. Do you take President Xi at his word?
5: Um, well, taking him at his word or not, what what I think the analysis that that China had a specific timetable or that timetable was accelerating is in fact. Uh, Not correct analysis. Hmm. I think China was becoming increasingly concerned that Taiwan was uh, slipping through its fingers, and that Taiwan might at some point declare uh, de facto or de jure independence, thereby forcing, from the Chinese perspective, forcing them to act, which is something that I don't feel like China is prepared to do. Hmm. Um, The 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 best military analysts really question the the reliability with which China might think that it could take Taiwan back um, without great risk of failure, and that uh, I think is is really there's there's a lot more caution on all sides than than some of the the um, media reporting has indicated.
1: We know that China cut off many routine contacts with the U.S. after Speaker Nancy Pelosi went to Taiwan. And those contacts are being reengaged now. Uh, For starters, were we in worse shape than you thought at the time? And what happens if these delegations continue to visit Taiwan as have been promised?
5: I think it depends on the nature of the delegation and the the degree of the of the steps being taken uh, by Taiwan. M- importantly, Taiwan uh, has elections coming up, um, headed towards the presidential election mm-hmm. in about one year. And so all of these things are potential destabilizers, potential congressional action that changes Taiwan's status under U.S. law, while now perhaps less likely, given the results of the midterm, Uh, are also a destabilizer. But the stabilizer is is fundamentally the shared interests of both nations in avoiding an outright conflict, which could be, you know, a disaster for all concerned.
1: Vladimir Putin is watching this, of course. What will this meeting with Joe Biden do to the she putin relationship?
5: Well, one could hope that it would chastise um, Putin and make him realize that 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 from China's perspective, its relationship with the United States is vitally important, um, even as China values the relationship with Russia. I that, That's what one could hope for. I, I, I'm not optimistic, actually, given uh, Vladimir Putin's mindset.
1: Ambassador Kurt Tong, we thank you for the time once again on Bloomberg. Look forward to doing it again.
5: Thank you. Take care. I
1: want to assemble the panel uh, for a quick take on this rick davis and Jeannie shanzano are here uh this seems to be another win uh, in in kind of a string for joe biden is he's riding
3: the momentum into the g20 uh rick what's the takeaway for him yeah just think about this i mean we we're at the olympics and there's this you know significant deal cut between putin and chi to be sort of the axis of evil against the rest of the world we're going <laughs> to drive you all out of business and and then just a few short months i mean almost one year later um, You've got a uh, situation at the G20 where Putin doesn't even show up because he's so embarrassed and can't face the rest of the world. And she is sitting down for three hours with the president of the United States and actually saying nice things. I mean, Mm -hmm. like that is an extraordinary movement of world affairs in one short year. So Mm -hmm. I can just say, you know, let's hope it stays on this track because avoiding conflict is the number one issue. That's right. Did Joe Biden buy some time on
1: Taiwan, Jeannie?
4: He absolutely did. And and this is a rocky point in our U.S.-China relations. And he seems to have crossed that mountain, crossed that bridge. And good for Joe Biden.
1: Rick and Jeannie stay with us. Our signature panel next. Mike Pence breaks his silence, if I can call it that, on Donald Trump. This
4: is Bloomberg.
0: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at Forum.com.
1: You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The two headlines... In the competing newspapers, tell the whole story. New York Times. Pence says Trump was reckless in assailing him on January 6th. Washington Post. Pence's slowly arriving critique of Trump is his party's entire problem. He went for it today, uh, Mike Pence. A lot of people are saying, where have you been? Well, it turns out he's selling a book and sitting for an exclusive interview here uh, with ABC News. I got a little peek behind the curtain on this kind of thing. They actually have rules for using this because it airs later tonight, I guess. And I have to follow the rules if I want to use any of it, even though there's this thing called fair use out there. But there are nine rules, as I read, uh, for people playing portions of the interview from ABC News. Hang on. Let's get to Mike Pence here. Yeah. Uh, I guess the one that applies to me here, the excerpt must be introduced in an exclusive interview with World News Tonight, anchor David Muir. So I got that? All right, so we can play it now. He's asked about the tweet. David Muir asking Mike Pence about the tweet as he's hiding in the bowels of the Capitol. When the president sent the salvo here that Mike Pence did not do what he should have done to protect him in codifying the election. This was clearly, you know, this is the big question he knew was coming here. Maybe it was rehearsed, maybe not. But things got real. He spent a lot of time thinking about it and gave his answer. It angered me.
3: But I turned to my daughter who was standing nearby and I said, it doesn't take courage to break the law. It takes courage to uphold the law. I mean, the president's words were reckless. It was clear he decided to be part of the problem. Hmm. Members he's, were. He's done a lot
1: of interviews. Fireside chats, speeches. But this was really the, the most he's said about this. Remember the tweet? Mike, this is the Trump tweet that day, January 6th. 2.24 uh, p.m. At the worst of the siege, Mike Pence did not have the courage to do what should have been done. Let's reassemble the panel here. Rick and Jeannie are with us. I, what's the name of the book? I have had it in front of me. Something very predictable, actually. Uh,
3: Rick Davis, should Mike Pence have said this a year or two ago? So help me God is the name of the book. <laughs> Thank you, and and so help me Thank God, you. he should have said this when it was happening. I mean, well, yeah. the man went on. I mean, the president of the United States was was under a uh, um, a impeachment order by the House of Representatives, and this guy stayed silent. I mean, he says to his interviewer, it takes courage to obey the law. We're all supposed to obey the law. What courage is that? <laughs> I mean, I can't figure That's this one out. I, I mean, I like Mike Pence. I think he's a good guy. But, like, uh, silence is consent. You ever hear that? I wow. mean, and he stayed silent for four years and and two weeks. And that was two weeks too long so after January 6th. Uh, you know what? I, I I like to collect books of former... Uh, uh, candidates for office who will mm-hmm. never go any further. Oh, boy. Okay. Wow, Rick Davis. What? Would, are you feeling that same way
4: about this, Jeannie? Well, <laughs> you know, reckless is quite an understatement. And what are we engaged in? Mike Pence is one of the first ones out the box in the Invisible Primary. And part of the Invisible Primary for 24 is to put out the obligatory book. He has done that. He's <laughs> yeah, getting right. a lot of these interviews. Um, as you noted, know, this one from ABC, as you rightly introduced. You. Um, and, you know, so this is what this is. And what didn't Mike Pence do? To Rick's point, you know, he waited this long to say anything. He also didn't testify before the January 6th. Sixth committee, the body of Congress designed to get for the American public a fair rendition and a fair, you know, historical interpretation of exactly yeah. what happened. Maybe so, he sent them the book. Yeah, I'm sure he will do that. Maybe he'll force them to buy it. But <laughs> this is, you know, it's a, it's a little too late, uh, except yeah. this is a political move on his part, and he's out there doing it
1: pretty amazing that this would come on the eve of uh, Donald Trump announcing his uh, presidential campaign. Do do we all still think this is on? He's not going to waver
3: now, is he, Rick? Yeah, I would doubt if he'd waver. He's too embarrassed to now take a step back. You know, this is the problem when you get way out in front on something because you think opportunistically, now's the time to get all the attention that I'm going to need right before an election. And then Realized hmm, that didn't turn out quite the way I'd hoped it had. Right. And so rather than taking a victory lap and announcing my own campaign, um, you know, he's going to have a lot of explaining to do. And, of course, none of this will include talking to reporters. So um, he'll have his moment. He'll go off the rails. He'll say things that people will scratch their head and wonder, how do you get elected president saying that? And, of course, he did get elected president saying those how things. True. So yeah. uh, he won't be daunted at all.
1: Hearing from, and of course, these are familiar voices on, well, somewhat, certainly Larry Hogan, the, the, the outgoing Republican governor of, of Maryland, who apparently has his own designs on higher office. Uh, he let him have it on CNN, on State of the Union on Sunday morning, his take on the Trump effect. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different re- result. And you know, Donald Trump yeah, kept saying, you know, we're going to be winning so much, we'll get tired of winning. I'm tired of losing. I mean, that's all he's done. Tired of losing. Chris Sinunu, the governor of New Hampshire, uh, in his diagnosis of what happened in the election with Republicans.
3: What I think people said was, look, we can work on these policies later, but as Americans, we got to fix extremism right now. Ultimately, I think the Democrats did a very good job of, of defining a lot of these candidates before they even had a chance to introduce themselves.
1: And when asked on ABC, he said he would not support Donald Trump in 2024. Uh, are these... The comments you would expect to hear from these names, Rick, or is there really something happening in in a large portion of the Republican Party distancing itself from Trump?
3: You know, it's just it's amazing to me that here we are two years later after a midterm election that arguably did not meet Republican expectations. And we're still talking about Donald Trump. I mean, you know, and, (laughs) and it's kind of like what Governor Hogan said, how many elections... In 2018, 2020, 2021, 2022, do we have to continuously lose and still talk about Donald Trump? Um, I, I just think he gets a buy with the party and party leadership like nobody I've ever seen in modern presidential history. Wow. Still not on
1: Twitter, uh, unless something just happened, uh, Jeannie. He's sticking with truth, he says, truth social. But we're watching Elon Musk, of course, refer people to the Republican Party here, having bought Twitter. And a lot of people are thinking that might happen. But uh, Elon is, I guess, having a hard time as well. He's fired close to 3,700 people since he bought Twitter. He's been threatening bankruptcy. And it sounds like, you know, he's going to be in for it uh, for some time here. He 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 spoke uh, in, in one of these virtual meetings. Uh, a summit deals where his face is up on the big screen. You know, he's talking on zoom. He's at home and uh, He's he's starting to feel
5: the workload. I have too much work on my plate. That is for sure I'm really working at the absolute most amount that I can work from morning till night seven days a week um, So this is not something I'd recommend frankly um, Yeah,
1: Jeannie, is he okay?
4: It, it was fascinating his face was glowing it looked like yeah it, in i the guess black background yeah like like there was candlelight he's you know apparently overworked he not only fired those thousands of people he tried to hire some of them back he right. cut their lunches for gosh sakes <laughs> you know it's it's hard to be him he's oh, wishing like the lunches yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I'm not sure he's all right, but, but he's hanging in. And, um, you know, he still had quite an audience there for this sure speech, did. even though he wasn't there in person. But, you know, he probably is wishing that he could sell his sandals for $220,000 like they got oh, Steve Jobs for. How about that? Maybe someday. Gross, the but the sandals <laughs> come with an
1: NFT, which, you know, I'm sure Steve Jobs himself would have laughed at. Uh, it's a great story, by the way, you know, considering this idea of Elon firing and then rehiring or unfiring people somehow. The worst ways to fire your staff. I don't know if you guys have ever been fired from a job, but this list is incredible. Uh, and of course, the, there's, it's just impossible to beat this guy who ran the company Better. Do you remember this? Uh, Vishal Garg was his name, the CEO of Better. This is the guy who fired like 900 people on Zoom one day. This was the, this is
4: the second time in my career doing this, and I do not, do not want to do this. The last time I did it, I cried. <laughs> um, being recorded. This time I hope to be stronger. By a worker. But we are laying off about 15% of the company.
5: you got to be kidding me. Efficiency <laughs>
4: and performances. If you're on this call, you are part of the unlucky group being laid off. Your employment here is terminated effective immediately.
1: That was last year in the throes of uh, the pandemic. There were four rounds of layoffs, as it turned out. Real popular guy. He's back, by the way. Rick Davis, you work in the business world. you've, You've moved from politics mostly into business. Is there actually a wrong way to fire someone?
3: Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, these companies are part of a the community. They, these people live in the community. Uh, for every time you have to fire people and maybe downsize, uh, uh, maybe you hope to be able to build that back up and you don't yeah. want to lose that connection with the community. So sure. The Zoom you, is out. Uh, well, unless there's a global pandemic How about and you actually can't GD? see anybody. Can you fire by voicemail?
4: Not voicemail and not text either. Oh. <laughs> Help us. <laughs>
1: We'll somehow wake up together again tomorrow. I'll meet you back here. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg.
0: The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar, and premier sponsor QB.